0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure Cloud professionals. Solveto Eduhouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on Eduhouse.fi/cloudpro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Uzi. What's up?
1: Hey, Tobias perhaps a little gym update on my behalf. I think it's been long enough since I mentioned this the last time, but I'll, I'll keep this short. So I realized I am closing in on four years of regular gym visits. So I switched to four days a week last September, so about 10 months now. And it's enough to not really leave much time for other sports. I do a bit on the side, but the energy is is just not there after four gym visits each week. And I've missed perhaps one or two gym sessions in the past couple of years. So my trick is that I have these in my calendar. I plan about a month ahead and they are immovable. Whatever happens, they will stick. I will go. It's fun. I'm seeing solid progress, not perhaps each week, but definitely month over month I am seeing. And the trick there for me has been consistency, putting in something called the 80% of the effort, so not going 100% on, on each gym visit, and then testing the limits, doing the 100%, perhaps once every three months. Those have been the key for me. I can recommend for anybody if you want to become stronger.
0: All right, that sounds good. I. Got a gym membership recently, and then I went there, I think, 15 or 20 times, which was good. And then I got a cold, and flu, then I never went back. So <laughs> yep. I think it's time to pick it up. I forgot I had the membership, so it's time to to get back there. Uh, on my end, I just came back from a four-week amazing vacation. We spent some time visiting families and friends, uh, spent some time at a water park resort, and we just generally had a great time together as a family. So I am now more energized than ever to tackle the challenges and opportunities ahead. And I'm really ready to get back on my bike to do some really good workouts as well. Because the second week of vacation, I got a cold, which I got from my kids, bringing that home from kindergarten. So I spent three weeks of my vacation having the cold and a flu, uh, which was not ideal, but was still good times. So that's now easing out, you know, just in time as I settle into work again. Uh, so hopefully I can jump on the bike now to get some cardio done as well.
1: I've always said that the best employees, they have sick days when they are on holidays so that they are fully recharged <laughs> when they get <laughs> when they get back to the office. All righty, uh, a couple of community highlights. Uh, here's something from Christopher Graham. And interestingly, this is on the IBM blog, ibm.com. And the blog is about... An introduction and best practices for Azure resource groups. So I know it's a basic topic. There's an interesting insights in there. And when I read this, I, I looked at the featured image of this blog, and it's from a street in Helsinki of all the places. I'm not sure why, but it's there. <laughs> and and you can find the links for the community highlights in the show notes. Uh, Toby, did you have anything on the community highlights?
0: Yeah, I, I found one from Andy Beatman in the tech community uh, called "Using Your Own Data to Create a Power Virtual Agent with Azure OpenAI Service." So that kind of talks about enabling effortless ingestion of data from any data source, including your own, um, you know, whether it's local or cloud-based. There's a nice video to go with that as well. So we'll put the links to that in the show notes as well.
1: Good stuff. So today's episode is about refreshing our knowledge and hopefully yours as well on Azure AI. So we will be discussing uh, the, the latest features and capabilities, the different services available. But but for me, this has been eye-opening because all the interest for the past six, seven months has been on chat the GPT, the GPT models, open AI, Azure open AI, and it's easy to sort of forget that you have other services as well beyond Azure Open AI, which is great. But we have sort of tackled that already in a couple of the previous episodes. So now when we look at Azure AI services, I'm still sort of trying to mentally remember. That we are not talking about Azure Cognitive Services any longer. Everything is bundled under Azure AI Services. Toby, for you, are the Azure AI Services? Does that make more sense now, or are you also like myself? Are you a bit stuck with the cognitive services of the past ten years?
0: Yeah. So the uh, the term cognitive cognitive services obviously sticks um, a little bit, but. I I did take a look at this recently, and and work with some of these services every now and then. And um, what I know is, you know, there was an announcement in July this year, and that Azure AI services is kind of the brand that will un- encompass everything that was previously known as Cognitive Services, but also the Azure Applied AI services. So in the past, we had these two uh, kind of distinct types of services, and now all of these goes under the same umbrella. So I, I just think it makes sense because it's now called just Azure AI, um, you know, which is easy enough. And whatever you knew as cognitive services now falls under that umbrella instead. But the service itself works pretty much the same way.
1: Makes makes perfect sense now. I will try to remember it's called Azure AI now. So, so there's four categories, uh, decision, language, speech, and vision. I think I've used all of these, but not all of these I've used in a production environment or in a real project so I've dabbled around with these services I've used this in a couple of real deployments and obviously Azure OpenAI is part of this it goes into the category of language so that that might be familiar for a lot of people who have used that already but if we quickly run through what services we have let me start with the decision There's Anomaly Detector, there's Content Moderator, but that is now retired. I think it's a fancy way of saying do not use this any longer. And there's a new thing called Content Safety. So three services in Decision. Anomaly Detector, fairly simple. Let's talk a bit more on how do you actually use this. But the idea there is that you will give the service a bunch of data and ask it to detect if there's any anomalies. Perhaps there's temperature readings from the past two years. And then you're asking, are you seeing any deviations that I couldn't see with my naked eye? For any of these three services, have you used all of these? And do you know anything about content safety?
0: Uh, I do know about these things a little bit and the anomaly detector, just to kick that off, It's pretty good, Pretty good, and the example you gave is, is good. Like, for the data that you feed in over the last X period, you know, two years in your case, um, you know, it kind of monitors that data over time and detects anomalies, and it's using machine learning to do all of that. And I really like that. Like, oh, we, we see a deviation here in the data, or we see an anomaly in the data, and then you can take action on that, or at least review it. So it's bringing a lot of intelligence into large data sets that would otherwise be really tricky to do. So I, I love the anomaly. Detector for that reason. Uh, as for the content moderator and content safety, I know the content moderator is being retired. There is something called content safety instead, um, and, and you know that that is again accessing some algorithms for kind of processing images and text, and then it's just flagging content that is potentially offensive, risky, or something that's you know undesirable to have in in your applications or surface to users and stuff like that. So just about Bringing more safety uh, automatically to your systems that you're building. So I think that's oh. pretty cool, and that's a new thing—the content safety. I think, I think it's still in preview as of this recording. Um, so I'm I'm not sure when that's going to go GA, but it is ready to uh, to try out. I believe so. Should be able to to take a look at that.
1: Alrighty, I'll, I'll definitely try that one out. So the next category is language. And this one has Azure Cognitive Search, Azure OpenAI, Bot Service, Language Understanding or Luis, and Q&A Maker. So the first two, Azure Cognitive Search and Azure OpenAI, they sort of go hand in hand because obviously, if you need to augment any of the built-in large language models of Azure OpenAI you're going to index those with Azure Cognitive Search, or that's one option for you to index and probably the easiest one because that capability is built into the Azure OpenAI Admin Interface. And then Bot Service for creating our custom chatbots. And I recall that the Power Virtual Agent is based on Bot Service, but Bot Service gives you more flexibility then there's language understanding or LUIS. I, I think that's a bit forgotten by now because it's based on Bing and, and Bing's language understanding models.
0: And, it, and it's Q- also being retired, so it, it is ah, now. Okay, yeah. So it, yeah, no need to yeah. start exploring more on that. You instead, use the, the language uh,
1: service. Okay, makes sense. And then there's Q&A Maker, but I recall that was communicated as as becoming deprecated. A year or so. It is, it is so retired ago. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so in in practice, we have three services: Azure Cognitive Search, Azure Open AI, and Bot Service, as part of the language, uh, category. Uh, any any thoughts on any of these?
0: Yeah. So um, uh, first of all, the like the the Luis, the language understanding, um, that is, uh, that's being retired, and it will be fully retired uh, in October 2025. Uh, and starting in April 2023, which already passed, you cannot create any new LUIS resources. So that's why I say it's deprecated or or retired already. But if you have existing LUIS resources, they will not just stop working now, but they will in October 2025. So don't use uh, language understanding LUIS. Instead, use um, the service called uh, Language. I think it's called Azure AI Language. Uh, And there, you know, it has all the things, uh, you know, SDKs and whatever you you want to to build your stuff. So there is that. Um, And then for, um, I know you mentioned bot service. I think we both built a couple of bots over the years. You can connect them to different channels, like uh, a Teams bot and, and, you know, do different things. Um, I'm not sure if that kind of changed name to bot framework composer, uh, which lives under like the bot service. So uh, it might be that if you find Bot Framework Composer in the documentation and the Bot Framework SDK, that's really about building an Azure AI Bot service, right? So it might just be uh, good to know about the the kind of naming uh, discrepancies there. I haven't used the QA Maker for anything in my life, but I know that is also deprecated or becoming deprecated, and I think it's uh, the same thing there. In 2025, it's being deprecated. Um, so, and, and also from October last year, 2022, you cannot create any new Q&A Maker resources. So, while they are kind of under the same umbrella, uh, if you have a service running on QA Maker, it will work. But if you need to recreate one, it's not going to work. You cannot create new resources of those. So, that's also good to uh, kind of just be aware of.
1: Okay, good updates there. For Q&A maker, I've I've used that back in the SharePoint days. Um, you would have a customer asking that. Can we have this sort of an AI capability that w- was able to answer to common questions from our employees, like like what's for lunch at the at the diner, and how do I report this and that? And it was an easy way to feed FAQs to an engine and it would simply pick up answers from there nothing fancy about that but it it didn't require any coding so you you would be up and running in 5 minutes with that one uh the next category is speech only a single service there called speech services uh, i would never use this beyond demos and prototypes like let's let's translate from english to french to italian here's an audio file with English, can you transcribe this into text in in Swedish or Spanish? The problem often was that this did not include Finnish, my native language, in there by default. I think it was later introduced, but it was a bit too late, because then everybody were raving about ChatGPT, and it's then hard to say, yeah, instead of using that, which is natively fluent in Finnish and Swedish and all other languages, how about we code something that's not as good, but will cost you more? That didn't really land well with customers, yeah,
0: and I know you also have the the translator. there is a, a translator service. I, I don't know if this falls under speech or or if it's just under like the language. um because there's there's a bunch of stuff in there like i I really like the speech to text, the text to speech, um you know these capabilities. Um, and I built a long time ago, I built something around that, but it's not happened for some time now. Um, but there are, I, I think we'll we'll just put the link to all of these things in the show notes. There are some really good scenarios and deep dives. Um, you know, how, how can you do captioning with speech to text? Um, you know, a call center overview. How, how do you do a call center and how do you, you know, do live translations of things? I, I really like these things. Uh, so I, that was always a powerful service. Uh, I haven't seen many customers use it, but I have seen some really rigorous and good implementations of it from the ones that did um so super super cool Uh, i don't have a lot of input on that one never used it myself but I, i do know some big implementations but i'm not sure how kind of widespread it is but i'm happy it's there
1: and then the last category is vision so this includes services like computer vision Custom vision, I think it's just called vision now, or computer vision is called vision, and custom vision is called custom vision. They keep changing the names constantly. So if you go to Azure portal, if you go to Microsoft Learn, if you read a blog, you find the same thing called with different names. So in in the category of vision, you have vision, you have custom vision, you have face, form recognizer, which is now called document intelligence, ink recognizer, video indexer, and yeah, I think those are all that have to do with vision. So for vision and custom vision, the idea is that you can train those models against your own set of images to detect elements from images like here's a picture of our company parking lot, are you seeing any cars in there? And you feed it pictures with an empty parking lot and pictures with different amount of cars, and it learns based on that data. But you don't have to first train it to understand what is a parking lot or what is a car, so it should be able to detect those. There's face detection, the document intelligence is is able to uh, pick a document perhaps from a PDF or a Word document file and turn that into some sort of usable data so that you can run queries and make decisions based on the data found in that document. I've used many of these on and off, not too seriously though, but these have made great demos, especially for understanding how does it actually work.
0: Yeah, and I... I really like the different types of services in here, and I've uh, I've not used these in any production environments, but I've spoken with a bunch of customers over the years that have used some of these, and I really like like the innovation with the the face API, um, for example. It's like Azure AI Face Service, uh, which can detect a bunch of things. It can find sim- uh, similar faces if you feed it a bunch of images. Let's see, you have a couple thousand of. Images you can kind of just say, "Hey, find similar faces," and you can group faces. Um, you know, it, it can do a lot of things with by I, you know, um, identifying uh, individuals based on face detection and, and analysis. And that's pretty cool depending on what you're working on. And this reminds me, like I have Google Photos because I have an Android phone, and in there, it says, "Hey, here's your, here's your entire picture library. If you go to the search box and you, uh, before you type anything, it's it's going to show you a list of faces and, and it's going to say, hey, are you looking for any of these? And like my own face is the first one. If I just tap my face, the Google Photos will bring out all the pictures with my face on it and it is never incorrect. So this is a similar type of API, but you can build your own type of solution for that. I just wanted to highlight that that's a good example of a real-world high-scale application Using face recognition, probably not using Azure Face API, um, but um, you know the, the similar type of technology, uh, just to show a use case for that. So yeah, I really like these things. I really like having all of this now under Azure AI as a as an umbrella, because it's easy to find. The documentation is a lot easier to kind of digest and uh, easily jump uh, into the overview documentation of the available. Azure AI services, and then from there, kind of just jump into uh, uh, to whatever you want to take a look at. And there's also a couple of other things that I know we didn't take a look at yet, and, but they are also part of Azure AI services. One is the Metrics Advisor, and that's like an AI service that detects unwanted contents. Um, and there's uh there's a bunch of different things available. Um, but this is like a time series monitoring platform that provides a bunch of APIs or SDKs for data ingestion, um, including then anomaly detection and diagnostics, uh, without needing to know machine learning. So again, uh, you know, if you have a lot of metrics coming in, you have a system where you have a bunch of uh, diagnostics or metrics or metric logs that you feed in. You can connect the Azure AI Metrics Advisor uh, to that, and you know, start pulling out information from that. Uh, based on the data ingestion, uh, including then anomaly detection and diagnostics and stuff like that. So um, pretty interesting stuff. Um, but I, I haven't used it yet, but I know that the way it works is you collect time-series data and that can be from log analytics or from a SQL Server or from an Azure storage table, whatever it is, like some kind of, I think, structured data um, that lives somewhere, Cosmos, MySQL, uh, you name it, and then it it goes into that data and uh, tries to detect anomalies. It's gonna send you an incident alert, and then you can analyze the root cause. So this is super powerful. It's something that I needed in the past quite a bit. Uh, so I, I really like that one. Uh, another one I know we didn't talk about yet is the immersive reader, and that's just something to kind of help users read and comprehend text. Um, also, uh, you know, it's simply a, a tool that implements. You know techniques to kind of improve reading compre- comprehension. Um, so you can have like emerging readers, language learners, uh, people with uh, learning differences, and you can use the immersive reader in the web app um, and and you can use the immersive reader SDK. And I think that reminds me a little bit about if you use I think that this exists in Edge, but also in Firefox and whatever, you can just say, hey, this web page, open the Immersive Reader or Read Aloud or whatever it might be called in the browser. And then the browser can help you read it and help you kind of digest the uh, readable chunk of text. So there's a bunch of interesting things in there as
1: well. One more service uh, to complement the full list of the Azure AI services, it's called the Personalizer. I've never used this. I did have a quick look before we started recording on this. and. It's an interesting service, and the idea is that you would use this as a recommendation engine for a real uh, application or platform. As an example, if you have a, a movies streaming service, and the user is flipping through the available movies, what sort of movies would you recommend for the user based on some sort of contextual features like the size of their TV, the movies they've, they've watched before, their age or location, and then you are rewarding the user with those actions. So in a, in a way, all of these Azure AI services, they they share the same similarities in the sense that you pay per use, uh, you have a REST API where you actually integrate this with, with your own applications, and depending on what sort of solution you're building, Uh, you either have a separate portal for managing them or they're simple REST APIs. And it's up to you to decide how you're actually employing these different services. Uh, So when we were preparing for this episode, we noted there's something called the multi-service resource. And this, this was news to me uh, Toby, were you aware of something called the multi service resource in the context of Azure AI?
0: Yeah, I, I actually took that for a spin. And what I really like about that is uh, you had the ability to kind of create single resource, like Azure AI services, as a single resource, which is you create the cognitive services or you create the computer vision or you create whatever it is. Uh, now you can also create multi service resources. Um, you can use an arm template. you can use you can do this from the Azure portal. You can do it from a, a variety of ways as always. Um, and what that is, it's kind of a resource that lets you consolidate all the billing and network identity uh, for these things and uh, with a single endpoint. So what that means is if you create a multi-service resource for Azure AI, you get, uh, these services under kind of one endpoint, so you don't have to create unique services for for the following things: content moderator, which again is being retired, custom vision, document intelligence, face, language, speech translator, and vision. So all of those services are bundled or um, are capable of being used from the multi-service resource. For me, why this is interesting is because you can configure identity once, right? If these need to uh, be accessible uh, or have access to specific other resources, you can create a managed identity, uh, system managed or user, um, user managed, and then give the applicable kind of access to whatever other supporting resource that you need from a single place. You can set up the network and the network uh, in this case then would be um, you know, either allow all networks or allow access from specific networks and private endpoints, which means you pretty much create, um, either you add an existing virtual network or create a new virtual network. You can add a firewall, um, you can add IP addresses as exceptions as always. Uh, you can create private endpoint connections, um, but you can also, um, Ah, uh, just restrict or disable network access altogether, and that means no resource from the outside. Nobody can connect into to this uh, resource. So those are just some of the benefits of creating an Azure AI kind of multi-service account. And uh, the other thing, like the big thing, is you get one single endpoint, and the endpoint looks like something like whatever your name is, like your resource name dot cognitive services dot azure dot com. So that's the endpoint. So imagine you name this uh, Contoso, it's going to be contoso.cognitiveservices.azure.com. And from there, you can access all the decision and language and speech and vision and form recognizer and metrics advisor and all these things from a single place. Uh, So it's pretty good to have the capability. So if you're building a solution where everything needs to be managed in a single place, uh, for ease and better administration and maintainability. For example, the billing for all these things need to go into the same bucket. Then it might be easier to have this one resource, which support multi-service uh, AI services, uh, and then you get cost analysis for this entire thing, including all the, the things that goes in it. Um, so I really like that. You have a single uh, place to manage the, the key. So You have your endpoint, um you know whatever region it's deployed in you, you will have your endpoint again like contoso.cognitive.services.azure.com then you have your key one and key two just like you have on storage accounts and other things and you can regenerate them uh, so if you ever need to cycle keys thinking about key management and the life cycle of your secrets and keys this is becoming easier if you have a single resource to handle as opposed to maybe 15 different ones so it's for me it's about simplifying for me it's about making things easier um you know configuring the the networking once configuring the identity once um you know having the one endpoint with the one secret or or key to accessing that and then you know obviously plugging that into key vault and having key rotation and things like that is important but um yeah just making things easier but again the decision comes down to how you're running your business and what kind of solution you're building and the business use cases you have for that. Um, I just like to have this option.
1: Sounds sounds good. I need to try this out because this is this is a new capability for me at least. Uh, one thing to consider when when you approach these services is that Azure Open AI is super capable, but often the needs that you might have in a in a in an application might be less demanding so instead of always opting to go with the latest and greatest and the most shiniest one you can get something probably more affordable for those specific use cases and i realize that a lot of the demos from microsoft and the community are now built around azure open ai because that's the big new thing but all of these services that we have been discussing today they still exist and they serve their purpose especially on the vision and speech side but as as, as well on the language and decision also beyond those. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope this has been useful in in sort of shining understanding more on what used to be called cognitive services and they're now Azure AI services and I like that Azure OpenAI is part of this and depending on, on the needs that you have you're you're selecting one or multiple and now with the multi service resource you can bundle them together and manage them as a single service. Uh, anything you want to add anything we didn't touch upon yet?
0: I I have a lot of things to say about a lot of these things but I I think we we'll, we can leave it at that for now. Um and I have an idea that we want to revisit this uh, in a couple of months when we have some real-world use cases implemented that we can talk about, and and you know why would you use a multi-service uh, versus a single-service resource? Uh, hopefully, we can get someone from the field to come and say, hey, this is how we're really doing this, and these are like five really good use cases. Because we had the ideas of the use cases, but it would always be fun to hear about the actual implementations
1: as well. Sounds good. All righty. Before we wrap up the last bit, the unexpected question. Toby, I have a question for you. Are you ready?
0: Okay, let's go.
1: If you were forced to wear a warning lab- label, what would yours say?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Um, warning. Uh, approached for conversation may lead to a plenitude of dad jokes.
1: Excellent. We need stickers like that. <laughs> All righty. Thank you again for joining us. See you next week. All right. See you then.